Amen. And thank you, worship team, for helping us worship the Lord. Mark chapter 13, if you would open your Bibles there, 28 through 37. I love that song. I just felt like a little bit of the South was being brought out in that, a little bit of Alabama. I think that I was even twanging my words just a little bit. And so I just love that. I feel like that was an honor of me uh, being here today. A word about Ben Orr. Uh, this, this month, Ben is going to be inducted into the Biola Hall of Fame. And so we can rejoice with him over that. It's amazing, in Biola, he's, he was an excellent athlete in both soccer and baseball, all, all conference twice, I mean, all conference in soccer and in baseball, and conference player of the year in baseball two times. So it's been fun to watch Ben grow. I remember meeting him in the locker room when he was a student and watching him go through. He was drafted by the Cubs and went through the organization some, and then when he made the shift to go into ministry, it's just been fun to watch his journey. And what I really appreciate about Ben is some people have vision, they don't know how to execute. Ben has both. He has vision and he executes. And he's an amazing young man and God is using him in powerful ways. Then, but secondly, word about me, this is probably the, I mean, this is the first time I've stood before you since you received a letter in the mail or a grace wire, or maybe you heard of word of mouth that I've resigned my position at Grace. And I just wanted to take a moment to thank you. This has been quite the journey for us. 1998 is what, when the Lord brought us out to Biola. And then in 2001 is when we came on staff at Grace. And that's been my tension throughout all these years. I don't know whether I should be in the university or in the church. And so I've just done both. And just grew a little weary of what that entailed in my life. I don't know how to do anything halfway. I don't know how to stop short and just say, that's all I'm going to give. Um, I just always dive in, and it's, you know, it's part of my pathology. I've been telling the elders for years, this is not your fault. This is my own pathology working its way out. Um, but I've been talking with the elders a couple years and just decided that now was the time um, to do that this summer. But I just wanted to thank you for just the way you've been patient with me as I've grown as a leader. Underneath where our pulpit resides in, in La Mirada at the Grace Campus there, are the words, 2 Timothy 4.1, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke. And that's what I've always tried to do as a preacher. And I know that sometimes at lunch there's roast preacher at your houses or at the restaurant or wherever it might be. But at least people are talking about the sermon, right? I mean, that's, that's at least the way it is. And last Saturday I was shooting out in the desert. And there was a man there that I didn't know that was in our group. And so I saddled up over next to him. I wanted to get to talk to him a little bit, maybe tell him about Jesus. And I said, you go to church anywhere? He goes, well, I used to go to Grace. And I said, oh, you used to. Why don't you go to Grace anymore? He goes, I just don't agree with some of the teaching there. And I was more intrigued by that. And I said, okay, well, what teaching do you not agree with? He goes, well, want me to be honest? And I said, yes. He goes, it's your teaching. I said, oh, so what exactly about my teaching um, is problematic for you? And he went on to explain why. I mean, it's really what we just celebrated in our singing. There is no hope apart from Jesus. And he went on to tell me a sermon that I preached once. He said, you started off by talking about your twin brother that died. And I said, my twin brother, uh, I don't have a twin brother, and none of my brothers have died. But go ahead, tell me what was the sermon about. He said, you just proclaimed that Jesus was the only way to heaven, and I just have a problem with that message when I think about people around the world who have never heard 
And I said, well, well that could have been me then, because I would proclaim that Jesus is the only, only way, and that's what drives us to missions, isn't it? Is we want people to know and to hear about the name of Jesus. So I just talked to him about, that may be a difficult concept for you, um, but we have to go to God's word to really understand that. But you've been pa pa patient with me as a preacher uh, throughout the years. And also as a pastor, through the years, we've had to make a lot of decisions and some of those might have affected you and you may have not liked me, you know, for whatever reason or may not have handled a situation well. And I'll be first to admit I don't. I mean, I'm married, so I know all the time that I don't handle decisions real well. But you've been patient with me in that process, too. And so just like my wife has been patient with me through the years. And so I'm grateful for that. But it's been a lot of fun. But right now, if you want to pray for us, Joni and I are just holding our lives out there. And we're saying, Lord, what is it you would have us to do? Would you have us just to focus in at Biola with the years that we have left? Or would you be calling us to a full-time church ministry? What is it? And so we're just putting our life out there and just waiting for the Lord to answer that. You know my interest in missions too. And so we're just, you know, everything is out there and we're just waiting to hear back from the Lord about what he would have us to do and for us to hear the same voice. Joni and I need to hear the same voice on this one too. So be praying for us and thank you very much. It's been just a wonderful ministry. I'm gonna be redefining in the days ahead what my ministry will look like. Um, Right now, I'm going to be pulling back from preaching, too. This could be my last sermon. It could be the last time someone wears a tie uh, when they preach. I, I, I usually wear one. I, I like ties. Um, but, you know, just, just be praying for us. What, what, what will that even look like at Grace? We're staying at Grace. You know, when we got back, some thought we were going to be heading back to Alabama immediately. Now, that's a good idea. Um, but Joni's not hearing from the Lord about that either um, right now. But we're just waiting to see. We'll be at grace for a while and see where the Lord leads us. So be praying for us. Well, we have other things to um, look at in God's word today. Uh, Scott started the announcement time saying that we're a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. We open up our Bible and we love to receive from God's word. I did something today that I've never done and I've always wanted to do. In between services, I went to the Methodist church and I listened to the sermon. I got to be there for the perfect time, got to hear the whole sermon. And I'm telling you, I, 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 this is nothing against that church, but I have no idea what, was, what I just listened to. No idea whatsoever. Um, I'm not certain the Bible was preached. And this is a privilege for us to be at a church where God's word is preached. And I, I just pray that this congregation here will be a light um, to Fullerton. One of the things we prayed is that this church would be a light to the Fullerton Methodist Church too. So continue to be praying about how God wants to use you in the work that he's doing here. All right, Mark chapter 13. Hopefully you'll understand what I'm about to say. It will make sense to you. Mark chapter 13 verses 28 to 37 is where we find ourselves today. So let me pick it up with verse 28. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. 
It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Let's pray. Lord, we have been worshiping you this morning. We've been worshiping the, the glorious message of the gospel, Jesus, who's given us everything. We stand justified. Your wrath has been turned away from us and poured out on Christ. We are forgiven. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, you've called us to be a part of your work in this world. And so we pray now as we open up this passage that we will hear in fresh ways the words of Jesus that were spoken so long ago and have been proclaimed throughout the years and no doubt brought about transformation that once again you would open hearts to receive your word and that we would hear it in light of all that we're going through, all that we've been through in the past week, the things we've struggled with, the things we've rejoiced over, Lord, that you would cause our souls to rest in you. And so we give this time to you and pray that you would work for your honor and glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. The simple title I put on the message today is Stay Awake, comes right out of our passage. And Fred did do the heavy lifting last week. We, we asked Fred to preach that sermon because he, has, he does a great job of taking complexity and really making it understandable and clear. And so we were so glad that he led the way with that. And I get to get to the application today in verses 28 through the end of the chapter. But I want you to look at a picture. This is the lake where I fish when I go back to Birmingham. And I think any of you would like looking at this picture. The sun is just coming up. You can see the golden color on the dock and shining on the trees. I just thought it was gorgeous. But when you're a fisherman, you're gonna look at this same view and you're gonna start focusing in on certain areas. There are certain signs here that cause you to wanna to zero in and pay close attention. And so you've got the dock there and dock becomes a beautiful sign of where fish like to hang out. Um, they, there's a shaded area there, there's structure, there's protection. And so as a fisherman, you start thinking, all right, I'm gonna cast along that dock. You can also see in the right-hand corner over here, it's this right here. You couldn't see it good in the first picture, but these branches hanging down. Also, it's another nice home for bass. And if I can brag on myself for just a moment, I'm really good at casting in between those branches. Now, I've hung up on that tree a hundred times. I probably have a few baits that are stuck in that tree somewhere, but I can just cast it in there and then you start working that worm through there or a popper, whatever it might be, trying to lure that bass out of there. So when a, when a fisherman sees that, that's a sign. And they, they are to pay attention to that. There's a lot of lake out there, but when they begin to see something like that, they hone in. And if you know that what resides underneath this branch is a fish like that, eight and a half pound largemouth bass, you will for certain begin to focus. Now you have to do a lot of casting to catch fish. I mean, cast after cast after cast, and it becomes monotonous, and you may stop paying attention. But when you see that particular sign right there, and you know 
that that fish is there, all of a sudden you begin to wake up and stay alert. Here's another picture that you might see when you're going down through the lake as well. And there's a lot of prime territory here. If you're a fisherman, you're gonna focus in on certain spots. That one in the middle, the roots are coming down actually into the lake and it's got that vegetation growing up and that's a perfect place again, for a fish to hide out in there. And if you are in that boat as a fisherman, oh yeah, it's beautiful, but boom, your eyes are just riding on these particular spots. And if you know that what is residing underneath there is that nice seven and a half pound fish, you're really gonna pay attention because those spots begin to get marked. It's not just the perfect fishing spot, but you actually know there's a fish in there. We always let these things back unless they go on the wall. Um, but if, they gotta be really big to do that. But you, it marks the spot and you begin to really pay attention. Now, why am I giving you a fishing lesson? Because that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying there's a lot of things that are happening in this world, a lot of events that are taking place. But in chapter 13, verses three, all the way up through 27, Jesus is focusing on very certain realities. He's saying, these things are going to take place. And when you see these things taking place, that's a sign. That's a sign. And you need to pay attention. You need to be alert. You need to have all your senses focused in because God is on the move and something's about to happen. And so that's what we want to focus in on today. Now, last week, Fred reminded us that prophecy gives us this picture that's off in the distance uh, like a mountain, and so throughout the Bible, prophetic word has been given, offered along the way. And as we get into the New Testament, the mountain's getting closer and closer and closer. We get to Jesus, it's getting closer and closer. Jesus goes back to heaven, it's getting closer and closer. But when you're way back here, it's not so clear. Andrew and I just went up Mount Kenya. And when you look at Mount Kenya from a distance, you have a sense of where the highest peak is but maybe you're not looking at the angle from the right distance. Fred was talking about when, you get, when a mountain gets closer, all of a sudden it begins to come into view. It looks a little different than it did way back. And so even there was one time when we got to the base camp and there's this beautiful peak right in front of you and you think to yourself, aha, the top of the mountain. No, 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 not quite yet. And so as you go around that, then when the clouds move out of the way, then all of a sudden you can see the three peaks, but you've got to know which one's the highest because it doesn't look like that from where you're standing at the time. It doesn't look that way until you keep on moving up. But there it was, Bati in the highest peak and then Nelly on the second peak and then Lanana, the third peak that we were actually heading to. Those are named after witch doctors. And so we were up there and we renamed those Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We reclaimed that territory for the Lord. There actually is a Bible up there right at the third peak. Um, you know, just, there's a lot of Christianity in Kenya. And so, but it's that as you get closer and then finally you get up on the third peak and it all begins to make sense. This is not the highest peak. That's not the highest peak. That is the highest peak. And so we're getting closer as we've moved through that. And so last week, if we could look at the two aspects of the future, the first one is the more immediate future. And so back in chapter 13 in verses 3 through 23, we're going to call that the more immediate future future. And so Jesus is talking about events that are actually going to take place in their lifetime. One of the verses that makes this passage difficult is in verse 30, where it says, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. 
Well, Jesus just talked about the coming of the Son of Man, that second coming, the culmination of all things. How is that going to happen in this generation? Well, Jesus has two aspects of the future here he's talking about. The first one is the more immediate future. That's the destruction of the temple, the fall of Jerusalem. And then in verses 14 through 23, all the suffering that results from that, that's what Jesus is talking about when he talks about this generation. We're going to talk about that more in just a moment. But then there's a more distant future, and that's verses 24 to 27, and that's that coming of Jesus. And so, but in those days after the tribulation, Jesus begins to talk about something else that's out there in the future. So Fred pointed out that what we read in verses 13 through 23, um, that second part, it has to do with the sufferings that come as a result of all this destruction. We feel some of that today. It may feel like, wow, these verses 3 to 23 and verse 24 to 27, there's a big gap in between them. But no, not really. We still experience a lot of that suffering that they were going to experience immediately. Even today, Christians around the world still experience that. Why? Because what happens with the destruction of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem is Satan's efforts to thwart God's work in this world. That's what's going on. Satan continues to do that. And as a result of that, we still feel some of that suffering that occurs as a result of that. And so it's a huge gap, but, but we're still in some of that suffering. But that generation is going to experience that immediately. So to this week, when we get to verse 28, um, Jesus is going to begin bringing it all to a conclusion. He's given them all this teaching, and now he's going to apply it to their lives. And there's two things that we want to learn this week. In verses 28 to 31, something that can be known and then in verses 32 to 37, something that cannot be known. And I want to help us understand each one of these sections of what Jesus is going to say now has, has a connection to what he has said earlier. So let's look first of all at something that can be known. In these first verses, when he talks about this fig tree, Jesus, it seems like his overall point is to encourage his disciples. Now, why is that? He has just told them the temple's going to be destroyed, Jerusalem's going to fall, and you are going to experience a lot of difficulty as a result. And so I want, I want you to be encouraged when these things begin to happen. Notice in verse 23, he says, be on your guard. I told you these things beforehand. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm telling you about all these things now before they happen. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to know God's moving forward his plans. Because he doesn't just leave them with the destruction and the fall and all the suffering. He also gives them the Son of Man coming back. God is advancing his purposes and he wants them to be encouraged. So even before we get into the passage, we're called to step back and realize, well, that's true for us too. Think about the things that you've gone through in your past week or the past month or even what might be just around the corner for you, and you have no idea it's about to happen, you need to look at passages like this and you need to step back and say, okay, whatever this is, it's, God has not lost his grip. Things are not slipping through his fingers. Things are not out of control. Everything is advancing. We know the mountain is out there. It's not all so clear what it's going to look like, but we're on this journey. It's going to get closer and closer, and we may not be able to explain the difficulty we're going through right now. 
but this is not about us. This is about God and the work that he's doing in this world. So we're just going to stay on the journey and be faithful. And that seems to be what God, what Jesus here is trying to do with his disciples. Keep them encouraged. It's going to be bad, but God's not losing his grip. Everything's moving in a direction. And so I want you to be prepared. I want you to know ahead of time. So as we get into verse 28, go back to chapter 13, verse 4. What seems to be happening now, after all this teaching of last week that we went through, Jesus is finally getting back to the question of verse 4. In verse 3, it says that Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will all these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus goes into all this teaching and now he's going to really make it clear for them. And he begins with a parable in verses 28 and 29. It's the parable of a fig tree. But from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer's near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gate. So there's a parable here and he uses a fig tree because in this particular part of the world, most trees are evergreen. They don't lose their leaves. They stay green all year round. And he's trying to give an image here of a tree that does lose its leaves and then in the spring begins to bear just a little bit of a bud that you know is gonna blossom into leaves or flowers or some kind of fruit. Now, this is an analogy that if you've, you know, born and bred, grew up, always lived in Southern California, it just may not mean that much to you. But if you're in parts of the country, United States of America, or even the world, where there might be snow and the season that we call winter, it always cracks me up here when they talk about a winter storm watch, and it's a bunch of rain. Um, but when you're actually in a winter storm watch where you had better make sure you have bread, milk, and hunker down because you're going to be there for a while, this begins to mean something to you. And the more you've experienced that, the more you understand the analogy that Jesus is making. Uh, when we lived in the Midwest, I had a counseling practice in both Indianapolis area and in Chicago. And it was fascinating um, maybe sad might be a better word, when you got into the cold, gray, dreary months of winter, my counseling load went way up. And then all of a sudden, you'd come to spring and things begin to brighten up, sun would come out, gray would go away, counseling load would drop down. You could, you could plan on it every single year that there it goes. Yep, it's gray, dreary, cold. And you can feel it. And so after a while, you just get sick and tired of snow. I love snow. But after a while, you just get sick and tired of the slush, the snow, the cleaning off your car, the warming up your car. I mean, on and on and on. And then all of a sudden, you see the bud come out. And there's anticipation. Look, I saw a bud today. Something's about to happen. And in the midst of all that gray gloom and discouragement, there's excitement. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Listen, this is going to be hard stuff for you guys to go through. But I want you to see this like a fig tree. And there's a bud. And you've got some hope. You can look forward to the future. Something's about to happen. This is that encouragement that Jesus is trying to teach them. There's that anticipation of look. So look at verse 29. It says, so also when you see these things taking place, 
all these things I've just been talking about, all of Jesus's earlier teaching, then you can know something. And so when we think about this passage right here, last week was verse three, all the way through 27, that teaching, we've got to understand this passage because if we don't, then when we get to verse 30, it's going to be very confusing to us when he says this whole generation is going to see these things. Well, but the coming of Jesus, how do we understand that? Well, if we just divide up what Fred was preaching through last week, verses 3 through 23, that's the signs. When Jesus says, when you see these things taking place, he's talking about verses 3 through 23. When you see these things, the signs that are leading up to this one climactic event of Jesus coming back. That's the things that Jesus is talking about. All these things that this generation is going to see. When you see those, what's his point? You know that he's near. He's at the very gate. So when you see verses 3 through 23, you know verses 24 to 27 is near. He's at the very gate when you see that. And so ultimately we've got the signs and the climactic event here. The signs are when you see these things, the climactic event becomes very clear to us. Look at verse 24. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. He's obviously, he makes a shift. He's no longer talking about the signs. He's talking about this climactic event that is out there. And so it's very important that we understand this distinction. In one sense, verses 28 to 31 are Jesus' teaching, further reflection on verses 3 through 23. And verses 32 to 37 is Jesus' further teaching on and reflection on verses 24 to 27. He's saying you can know these things about verses 3 through 23. 24 to 27 is a day that's still out there, a day that is still to come. And so what's happening is, even with Jesus's life now, if we go back to that other slide, even with Jesus's life now, we are at a place where we're getting closer to the mountaintop and it's becoming clearer. And so think about Genesis 3.15. Let's go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Sin enters the world. And when that first sin occurs, what you need to understand is the world as we know it today, think about all the sins that just abound in our world today. This world and all the sin abounding, it's no worse off than when that first sin entered the world. It's just as pathetic and bad, just one sin that brings separation from God. There's just as much a need for a savior there. And so Jesus says, or God says in chapter three, verse 15, that the seed of the woman is gonna crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Oh, there it is out in the mountain. It's bad. It's messed up. Separation from God. But, but we can see the seed of the woman's going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And then in this passage, even Jesus picks up passages like Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. The Son of Man coming. That's what Jesus is quoting here. We're getting closer and we can see it even more. And when that Son of Man came in Jesus, the, every, the disciples, they all expected Jesus to bring in his kingdom now. Because that's what they could see. And Jesus has changed their understanding. And he said, no, 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 no. I got to go to a cross. Sin has to be paid for. Oh, now it's getting clearer. Now we're starting to see it. And so then after Jesus dies and is buried and rose again, okay, we got the death, Jesus. Now is the time you're going to set up your kingdom. No, 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 I'm going back to the Father. Oh, no. Okay, it's becoming even clearer now that that Son of Man is still out there. It's still to come. 
Now, in light of all that, now we go to the next slide where Jesus is going to make two statements, two sayings. And the first one is concerning its timing. When you see these things, what, what about the timing of all of this? Well, Jesus says very clearly, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Well, some people have had a difficulty with this passage because if you put chapter 13, verse 3, all the way up through 27 together, that doesn't make sense because that return is still out here. Verses 3 to 23, those are past to us. 24 to 27 is still future to us. And if we group it all together, it doesn't make sense. But if we understand, at least I hope I've already made it clear to you, that in verse 29 when he says, when you see these things taking place, he's looking back at verses 3 through 23 then that's, what, that's why Jesus can say emphatically, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. It's all the signs that show he's very near. He wants the disciples to be encouraged. You're gonna experience all of this. Know he's very near. This generation has to be understood as those people who are standing right there. That's the way Mark always uses it. You can't just say, well, it's obviously the generation of all Christians of all time. No, actually right there in that moment, Jesus is making it clear that these things are going to happen to them, but there's still a coming day that all these things are pointing to. The second saying that Jesus has is concerning its certainty. He says there in verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And so again, they can hear Jesus's words and with certainty know that they will be fulfilled with certainty. And no doubt when this gospel was put together by Mark and it was passed on for others to read, they understand this to mean everything that Jesus said. Just like we do today, we understand everything that Jesus says. You can bank on it. Jesus says, I'm telling you these things ahead of time. Remember verse 23? I've told you all things beforehand. I can tell you these kind of things. You can rest in the fact, I know what's going on in this world. And my mind went to Isaiah and the middle part. I remember so many times God comparing himself to idols about what he knows. And here's some passages you can look at. We don't have time to look at them right now. But Isaiah 42, 9, 44, verses 7 and 8, 46, verses 5 through 13, 48, verses 3 through 8. In each one of those passages is where you have God saying, listen, I know the end from the beginning. This isn't catching me off guard. He says to them in some of these passages, I've told you ahead of time so that you won't run to your idols. I want you to know who I am. And that's what Jesus is doing here too. He's saying to the disciples, listen, I can tell you what's about to happen. And I can tell you what your hope is in. Don't lose hope. Continue on, be encouraged because God is up to something. You can bank on my words and we can bank on Jesus's words today. We can bank on all God's word. God has laid everything out for us that he wants us to know. We may not fully understand it. It may not all make sense to us, but God knows the end from the beginning. And so as we encounter things that are unexpected for us, we can know, well, maybe Jesus didn't tell us about this ahead of time, but we can trust him in the midst of it all. And the disciples can trust him as well. Now, this brings us to the, the next part of this passage, something that we can't, that cannot be known in verses 32 to 37. Look in verse 32. 
Again, I want to try to make this very clear to you. Verse 32, he says, but... Now notice, this is in contrast to what he's already been saying in verses 28 to 31. So I'm telling you, this generation is not going to pass away. When you see these things, you know he's very near. So he's talking about verses 3 through 23. Now he's, he's going to shift his topic. But concerning that day, and again, this connects us to verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, I want to tell you about something else that's going to happen. And that's what he's, now it's what he's going to refer to in verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. And so every year at Biola, I get the privilege, or at least every semester, usually, to teach minor prophets. Well, this concept of that day is really important for us in prophetic literature. Because as God is working with the nation of Israel, and they're sinning, they're turning away from him, he's calling them back, all of a sudden, the discussion begins to be about that day. It's the day of the Lord. That day or this day that's coming. We even read about that this morning in Thessalonians, about the day of the Lord, about that day that's coming up. As we get to, from the Old Testament perspective, it's the restoration of the world, the coming of the kingdom of God. When you get to the New Testament, it's the second coming of Jesus. That's that ultimate day when the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our Lord. And everything becomes, you know, changed at that moment. The culmination of the gospel is experienced in this world. It's going to be an amazing day. And Jesus is now talking about that particular day. And what does he say about it? Something you can't know. I'm going to tell you all these signs. You can know all of this. And you can know when you see these things that he's very near. He's at the door. But let me tell you something you can't know. Concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. So let me be clear. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know. Now, that's very clear to me. I mean, there's certain parts of the Bible that may be fuzzy, but this is really, really clear, isn't it? No one knows the day. So who knows the day in here? Well, no one does. What about in the world? No one how about the angels? No, not at all. The son, no. Who? Father, and that's it. So it's astounding to me that through the years, people have tried to predict the day. That's, that's phenomenal to me. I mean, people who are respected. And you just want to say, can you open your Bible and please help me understand what in the world you're doing? You understand that the, the nearest prediction to us right now is September 28th of this year. Less than one month away. It's predicted that Jesus is coming back. And there are still several more in the future to us. What are we to do as Christians with those kind of predictions? Dismiss them. Because Jesus is very clear. You cannot know that day. You can see the list. It's clear. You do not even know. So what are we supposed to do? Well, Jesus is going to give the application then. You can't know the day. So that's something that cannot be known. So what are we supposed to do in light of what we cannot know? Well, be on guard. So we get to the application of what Jesus is saying here, the point that he's making. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you don't know. So Jesus says, you can see these signs. You know about them. This generation is not going to die until all these things happen. You can bank on it. But there's a coming day. You have no idea when it's going to come. And so this has been a long time since Jesus said this. Jesus said, when you see these things that are going to happen in your lifetime, you can know he's very near. He's at the gate. 
And now we've had all this time go by. And that's why Peter says in 2 Peter 3, some of you say, where's the promise of his coming? And Peter says, oh, don't you, don't you miss this point, believer. God's not slack concerning his promise. He's patient. And so the, the fact that there's such a long time when even now they were supposed to understand he's near, he's at the gate, is because God is being patient so that your neighbor can come to know the Lord, so that unreached people groups can come to know the Lord, so that someone you work with can come to know the Lord, so your spouse can come to know the Lord, so that your, your, your family members, whatever, can come to know the Lord. God is being patient. Blessed be his name that he's doing that. But he says that we are to be alert. We are to live as if he's right at the door. And he's going to give us an illustration. Now, there's something that's very interesting about this illustration. Every now and then, Jesus does something like this. He's going to give an illustration, but before he's done with the illustration, all of a sudden, the disciples are going to be a part of it. In other words, we're not talking about just a story, about any old servants. Jesus is going to bring them into the story. Watch what he does. He says, it is like... A man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Now notice Jesus isn't done with his story yet, but all of a sudden the disciples are going to be brought in. Therefore, stay awake. For you, we're not talking about the servants in the story. You do not know when the master, okay, now we're back into the story again. Who's the master? The master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows or in the morning. Those are the four watches of the night. In, in the Roman mindset, lest he come suddenly and find who asleep, the servants? No, you asleep. He, he makes the disciples a part of this illustration. So who is the master in the story? Jesus. Who are the servants in the story? Followers of Jesus. And so we've got this fictitious story that the disciples are brought into to show us that, wow, this is a little bit more reality. This isn't just a story about a man who goes on a journey, a master, this is actually our lives. And so Jesus, in light of this, says, stay awake. Well, why? Why are we to stay awake? Because the master, Jesus, has gone back to heaven, and now we are servants entrusted with the mission. And this becomes very clear in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, where Jesus raises from the dead and he meets with the disciples and they say to him, now is the time you restore your kingdom? And he says, no, I'm going back to the Father and I'm making you witnesses. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, you're now my witnesses. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. The angel said, hey, see, see how Jesus went? He's going to come back in the same way. So be faithful until he comes back. And that's what Jesus is ultimately preparing his disciples for. You don't know the day that I'm gonna come back. So my encouragement to you is stay awake. I'm gonna give all of this to you, disciples. And so that's the point for us here as well. We know that all the things in verses three through 23 happened. And Jesus says, those things are signs. And so you can also know that he is coming back. You know that because these things have happened, he's very near. He's at the gate. And that's the way we're to live our lives. He's very near. He's at the gate. And we live with that kind of anticipation, waiting. At Biola, for the beginning of our faculty year, we've been asked to read a book by Henry Nouwen, um, The Way of the Heart. And I've got an example or a saying or a quote from this particular book 
that I think really helps us think about what does it mean to stay alert. There is seldom a period in which we do not know what to do. In other words, stop right there. What Nowen is talking about is busyness. We're all on the treadmill of life, just busy, 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 busy. So he says, there is seldom a period in which we do not know what to do. And we move through life in such a distracted way that we do not even take the time and rest to wonder if any of the things we say, I mean, think or say or do are worth thinking, saying or doing. We simply go along with the many musts and oughts that have been handed on to us and we live with them as if they were authentic translations of the gospel of our Lord. That last bit of that quote just really pounded me in the forehead and said, Dave, you need to listen to this. Authentic translations of the gospel of our Lord. You see, the way we're to be living our life is with a gospel-mindedness, a kingdom-focused, a Christ-exalting way of living. And now in is saying, perhaps we're part of that Christianity. I think maybe a lot of Christianity is here where we're just on the treadmill with all the musts and the oughts and we aren't even stepping back to just ponder for a moment, to rest and to wonder, Lord, here's my day timer. Lord, here's my money. Lord, here's my vocation. What does it mean for me to be alert? What does it mean for me to stay awake? We just get caught up into, oh, doing this, doing that, doing this, doing that. And that's why people in the church can oftentimes be exhausted. And then they wonder at the end of the day, what did we really accomplish? To step back and to be alert and have that kind of kingdom mindedness, mindedness is going to cause us to have to pull away from the rat race of life sometimes. Just stop and think about it for just a moment. Think about these passages in the Bible. It says, like Romans 13, 11 through 14, besides this, you know the time. So he's talking about the time that we're living in, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than we first believed. In other words, we're getting closer that day. We know he's near. He's at the very gate. We're getting closer to that. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Notice what Paul's saying there. See, this day is coming. We've got to be on the alert. So Put off these things. And notice the, the sexuality, the sensuality that's a part of it, that can pull our hearts away and keep us from being focused on the way that God wants us to live. Last night, Joni and I were watching a movie and it was about, you know, someone on the inside was, was uh, causing things to go a certain way. It was going to take the nation down. And these were people who were supposed to be um, allegiant to the president and so one guy stood back and said, how could this be? How could they get to one of us? And the guy stopped and said, the same way they always do, sex and money. And I stood, I just saw this in light of this passage right here. And I thought, here's a secular movie. And it's making it very clear. How do you pull someone's heart away? How do you distract them? How do you win them, get them on your side? And Paul is saying here, no, go back. Paul is saying here, can we go back to our verse? Paul is saying here, don't get caught up in these things. 
They're going to lure you away. They're going to distract you. They're going to keep you from being alert. And so now we go on to the next slide. We've got to keep in mind in light of this that Satan opposes us. This isn't just, okay, I just got to make all the right decisions as long as I do everything. No, you, you have an enemy who's opposing you. In 1 Peter 5, 8, 9, it says very clearly there, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. You aren't just going through life independently. Satan wants to devour you. Just devour you. We think further about this. Not only do we have an enemy in Satan, but our second point up here, we are surrounded by people in Satan's army too. First, I mean, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. Be strong in the Lord. Put on that full armor, the strength of his might, the armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but all these principalities and powers and rulers of darkness it's all in our world right now. It opposes us. And if we're not careful, we'll be lured away. If we're not careful, we'll be distracted. And so Jesus is saying, we've got to be on the alert. Notice how he ends his passage. Verse 37. Disciples, what I say to you, I say to all. I say to all. We need to stay awake. Paul goes on in 2 Timothy and it says in verses four, I mean, chapter four, verses six through eight, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. Now those are the three halves. I have fought the fought, good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What's Paul saying? I stayed alert. I stayed alert with this thing. Henceforth there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will reward to me on the day. There's that term, the day. And not only to me also, but to also to all those who have loved his appearing. Paul says, I'm looking forward to this day. I long for my master to come back. See, this isn't about, oh, the master's got his club out and he's going to come back and beat his servants. No, Paul is saying, I love that day. I can't wait for my master to return. And so therefore, I'm going to be awake. And I'm going to be about his business. I'm going to do the things that he's called me to do. I'm going to live as if my home is with him, not here that's where my home is. I'm sending my treasures there. I'm spending my time with that in mind. This is not my home. This past summer, I spent most of my summer out of a suitcase. And that's an interesting experience to do that. And part of that was Andrew and I going up, you know, Mount Kenya. And all we had was a backpack. It's all we took. Why? Because we were on a journey and we were traveling light. That wasn't home. That was just a part of the journey until we got back home. When I was in Alabama, same thing. Traveling light, why? Because that wasn't my home. I was gonna come back home. But imagine Andrew and I going up Mount Kenya, just living as if this was our home. And you know, we're dragging up a refrigerator and I'm hauling up my BMW up there and we got every bit of clothes we have in our closets and all the pair of shoes that we own and we're just going. I mean, that's not a journey. That's not even living wise. And sometimes we get that backwards in this life too. We make this our home instead of the journey. And so Jesus says, hey, in light of this, in light of that day is coming, be alert. Stay focused and long for that day that he's coming. Let's pray. I'm going to give you a moment. 
to just ask God, what does that mean for you? What is God wanting to stir in your heart? How is he wanting to get your attention? What are the musts and the oughts that you're just caught on the treadmill of and you haven't sat back and wondered about your life? Ask the Lord. Lord, in your mercy, would you stir in our hearts that the time is near, that you're at the gate. Lord, I pray that would affect the way we spend our money, the way we spend our time, the way we ex expend our energies. Lord, I pray that you would stir in this congregation an awakening in reaching Fullerton, in being a light for those around here who need to hear the gospel. Lord, in your mercy, I pray that you would wake us from our sleep where we're sleeping. Lord, in your mercy, I pray you'd give us strength in our alertness that you would help us to continue on. And Lord, I pray that even after we leave here this day, that you would continue to teach us with this passage. We love you and we long for your appearing. In Jesus' name, amen.